I spent the night of April 7th, 2003, in the drunk tank at the Washington County Jail in Fayetteville, Arkansas, next to an unconscious homeless man whose name I never learned. It was a long and exhilarating night that I will truly never forget. Despite the fact that I was locked up, a profound sense of freedom washed over me, like I was really fully alive, maybe for the first time ever. Stick around and I'll tell you all about it. I'm Jacob Slayton, and this is my entire life. Okay, before I get started, I gotta tell you that this year is so jam-packed that I've just gotta smash in as many stories as I possibly can. But if you hang around, you'll end up with me on the roof of a church in a third world country. And it's a pretty cool situation how I ended up there. But first off, getting arrested. To tell the story, I have to back up a couple months to February. In February, I was driving around in the podunk little town of West Fork, Arkansas, and I got pulled over by a cop. He comes up and he says, do you have any idea how fast you were going? And I say, well, I saw you a long way off, and so I think I was going the speed limit. Uh, I think I was going about 35, and he goes, 37. And I said, okay, my mistake. It's going 37. Long story short, he gets my driver's license and uh, asked me for my insurance card, and I didn't have a current insurance card on me. The card I had on me was expired. Um, so he went back to the car, came back a little while later, and he said, okay, look, I'm going to give you a warning for not having your current proof of insurance. I'm not going to give you a ticket. All you got to do is call this number, give them your insurance info, and it'll be over with. Okay, so I said, fine. Later that day, I called the number, gave them the insurance info. End of story, right? Okay, flash forward a couple months to April, and me and my girlfriend, Mindy, are sitting in my car at Mount Sequoia uh, in Fayetteville, which is a this overlook that looks over the town of Fayetteville, and at nighttime, it's really kind of cool. You can see the city lights, and it's a great view and everything. And it was raining. We were sitting in the car, and we were actually, like, fighting about something, if I remember correctly. Um, but anyway, uh, after a while, we're sitting there, and it's probably 9 o'clock at night, maybe 10 o'clock at night. And a cop pulls in uh, next to me, and he comes over to my window, and he taps on it with his uh, flashlight, and he says, hey, are you aware that uh, this park is closed after dark? And I said, oh, I honestly wasn't aware of that. I, you know, no problem, we'll, we'll leave. And he said, okay, uh, but let me see your license real quick. So he takes my license, goes back to his car. He's in his car for a very long time with my driver's license, a very long time. I mean, maybe 25 maybe 30 minutes is what it seems like. And after a while, he actually backs up and backs in behind me so that he's now he's blocking me in so I can't leave. And he gets out of the car, taps on my window again with his flashlight. I crack the window down because it's really raining hard. And he says, Mr. Slayton, can you step out of the car, please? And I kind of look at Mindy and I say, okay, and I get out of the car and I realize he's got his partner with him, his sidekick, uh, is standing there too. 
he turns me around and he says, Mr. Slayton, you're under arrest. You have the right to remain silent, blah, 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 all these things, all, all, all the rights and everything. And uh, I say, okay, what is this about? And he says, we have a warrant for your arrest out of West Fork, Arkansas. That's all we know right now. We don't know the purpose for the warrant, but we do have a warrant. We're going to get it straightened out. Okay. So in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, what is this about? I, I hadn't even remembered the, the interaction with the police officer in West Fork, you know, a couple months prior because it was just so insignificant. And I'm just thinking, what in the world is going on? You know, I haven't done anything wrong. And so it, it, with that in my mind, I was like, this is kind of awesome, you know, because here I am, I'm getting arrested, but like, I really didn't do anything, uh, which is like, I realized like a totally strange thing to think, but whatever, that's, that's what was going on in my head. So they put me in the back of the cop car. They slide me in on the hard back seats. If you've ever been in the back of a police car, it's just like hard plastic seats and your hands are handcuffed behind you and, and it's not comfortable. And the uh, glass in front of you is so close to you, it's, there's not very much space in there. It's, it's kind of weird. And so I'm sitting in there. They haven't driven away yet. And I say, hey, what about my girlfriend? You know, she, she can't drive my car. I had a stick shift, uh, and she didn't know how to drive a stick shift. And they said, does she have her phone? And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, she'll be all right. Um, so it's like, okay. And then we just drive off. They start driving. And I say, okay, can you tell me anything more about what this is about? And he said, we, we don't know yet. We'll find out when we get to the police station. I said, okay, well, what happens now? And he said, well, we're going to take you to the Fayetteville City Jail, and then someone from West Fork will come down and pick you up and take you down to West Fork, and you will probably spend the night there, and then uh, all the other stuff will get sorted out in the morning. So I'm like, oh, my gosh. Being arrested was kind of cool. I was not excited to go to West Fork because that's a country jail, and I don't know. I, I just didn't want to go there. So anyway, they take me to the Fayetteville City Jail, and they sit me down in the lobby. And I'm in, I'm in there sitting in the lobby for some like an hour probably. And one of the cops is just sitting there talking to me. And um, after a while, we're, we're honestly just kind of bullshitting about stuff. And I'm still got my handcuffs on. They hadn't booked me in or anything because they didn't want to deal with that. They were waiting for someone to come get me from West Fort. I've still got my handcuffs on. I say, hey, man, can you, uh, would you mind taking the handcuffs off? You know, I'm not going to do anything. He's like, yeah, 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 no problem. He takes the handcuffs off. Now I'm just sitting there, and we're still just sitting there talking. I mean, it was like the guy was just kind of relaxing, like there was nothing really going on that night. Guy comes in, and he says, Mr. Slayton, we just got a call from West Fork, and apparently you had a court date that you didn't show up for, and that's the reason for the warrant. And now I'm still thinking, what in the world is this about? You know, I, I still don't understand anything. And he says, but they don't want you, so we're going to take you over to Washington County Jail. They're going to book you in there. You're going to spend the night there. You'll have a phone call there, and then, uh, you know, you'll get on with your life, right? <laughs> and so I'm like, all right, let's go to another jail. And so they put the handcuffs back on me. They drive me just a few blocks away over to the Washington County Jail. They book me in there. They take my shoes off. They take um, – I was wearing, like, this stupid hemp necklace that I had had forever, they couldn't untie it, so they just cut it off with a pair of scissors, which I was totally not cool with. Um, and they take my mugshot. And I remember, I'll never forget, they, I go into the little mugshot room, and it's just concrete cinder block walls, you know, painted cinder block. And they, they tell me to look forward and face the camera, take a picture, and they say, turn to the side and look at the little smiley face on the wall. And on the wall, with like a ballpoint pen, probably only like an inch tall, was this little demented 
scraggly smiley face that somebody had drawn in there. It was just so strange. And I remember sitting there thinking, how many crazy psychopaths have like had to look at this exact same smiley face while they got the side profile shot of the, of the mug shot. And then they take me and put me in the drunk tank, which, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. It, it's just a big tile room with a, with a drain in the floor. And there was a, um, there was a payphone on the wall. So I walk in the drunk tank. I'm kind of looking around. There's this dude passed out on the floor. Looks absolutely, um, he's just really, really, really dirty. <laughs> and uh, he was like mumbling something. I pick up the uh, payphone. You know, I hit the little clicker thing, see if I can get a dial tone. Nothing. Go over. They've got one of the two-way mirrors in there. I go and uh, sort of put my hands up over my brow, you know, and I'm looking through the, the glass to see what's in there. This asshole cop just, like, shines a flashlight in my eyes. I'm like, okay, great. I'm walking around in the drunk tank, you know, and it's just bizarre, you know. It just felt so weird to be in custody, you know. Uh, if you've never experienced that, uh, it's definitely something worth experiencing. <laughs> um, it was just a bizarre feeling to know that I was I was in someone else's custody. It was just just strange. Um, anyway, after a while, I, uh, they, they open the door and they say, um, uh, Mr. Slayton, would you like to make a phone call? I said, absolutely. So I go into, uh, they take me out of the drunk tank, lock it back up behind me, walk me down this little hallway and open this little door. And there's like a little, little bitty room. Um, you know, it's probably just four feet square, just a little phone booth room. There's a chair and a glass wall with a little slide through like pass through um space underneath the glass and a little shelf right there and on the other side of the glass was this police officer woman who was sitting at the desk with her computer and uh, you know just doing uh office work i guess and um she uh passes me the phone underneath and she said what number would you like to call and so i gave him my parents phone number and so she dialed my parents' phone number. Now it's probably midnight, um, maybe maybe 1 a.m. Dialed my parents' phone number. Rings and rings and rings and rings and rings. Rings forever. Um, no, no answer. And I say, they didn't answer. Can we call it again? She tries it again. No answer. So I say, can we call my roommate? So I call my roommate Isaac. And he answers. Now, at this point, he didn't know what had happened. I mean, I assume my girlfriend had, had contacted them and let them know, but they didn't know anything about what was going on or where I was. So Isaac picks up and I say, look, here's the deal. I explained the whole thing. I said, I need you to call my parents' house, uh, get my dad on the phone, just keep calling until they pick up. He'll eventually pick up. So he goes, all right, I'll call him. And he, uh, you know, I passed the phone back to the lady and she says, all right. And then she calls the cop. The cop takes me back to the drunk tank, locks the door. About 45 minutes later, they open the door again. They say, Mr. Slayton, you have a phone call. And so I walk back down to the little phone booth room. Uh, the lady passes me the phone. I pick up the phone and I say, hello. And I just hear my dad go, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, did I ever tell you about the time I spent the night in the jail in Nashville or wherever and had to fight off a whole bunch of guys, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I've heard the story. You know, just get me out of this, right? He was really uh, uh, relishing the moment, I think. <laughs> um, 
So anyway, I explained the whole situation to him. Um, I explained to him that, you know, at, at this point I've learned that the cop that pulled me over in West Fork recorded a ticket, but he didn't give me a ticket. He only gave me the warning for the no proof of insurance thing. And so in their system, they had a ticket down for me, which had a court date that corresponded to it that I, of course, didn't go to. And therefore, there was a warrant for my arrest, um, which is just insane to me. And so I explained all this to my dad. He says, all right, let me let me work on it. But but he, so he hangs up and I didn't want to go back to the drunk tank because uh, I would I would rather sit in the little chair in front of the lady and have my own little personal space. And so I keep on pretending to talk to my dad on the phone. And uh, and so I'm just talking to no one on the phone. And after a while, you know, the, the desk uh, part of the phone starts doing the eh, 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 eh sound. And the lady looks up at me and she goes, he hung up a long time ago, didn't he? And I said, yeah, he did. So she goes, give me the phone. So I pass her the phone back and I say, I say hey, can I just stay in here? Is that okay? And she said, she was busy. She said, if you don't bother me, I don't care. So I'm sitting in the room. I'm literally just twiddling my thumbs. And uh, I was in there for, honestly, several hours. I mean, it was a long time. After a while, a cop comes in. Now it's probably 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. A cop opens the door behind me, and he says, uh, he says, hey, are you the guy with all the friends in the lobby? And I say, I don't know, am I? And he goes, look at this screen right here. And he opens the door a little wider and I can see out in the hallway there's a um there's like a closed circuit TV screen up hanging up on the wall and there's a a live view of the lobby of the of the jail there and on that screen I see all my friends are sitting in the lobby like playing cards my girlfriend's like sleeping on the chairs in there and like a couple guys are passed out and but but people are just kind of hanging out just kind of waiting for me and I was like that is awesome <laughs> And the cop said, man, you know, if I had that many friends when I got arrested in college, you know, I would have ended up a little differently. And I was like, yeah, that, that's pretty cool, actually. After a while, a couple more hours go by. It's it's now it's the next day fully. You know, dawn has come and, you know, business is kind of happening and stuff. And my dad was able to get a hold of a few people. And long story short, he uh, they, they, he calls again. I pick up the phone. He says, hey, we're getting sorted out, blah, blah, blah. After another little while cop pulls me out. He says, all right, you're free. You know, you're getting bailed out. I go, go through the um, process of getting checked out or whatever. And anyway, they give me a, a Ziploc bag with all my stuff in it, like my wallet, my keys, my, you know, hemp necklace that they had cut off, my shoes and, you know, all my sort of personal stuff. And I'm walking in my socks down the hallway to the lobby with my bag of junk and I go out in the lobby and there's my friends sitting there, you know, and they're all kind of like cheering for me and stuff. And, you know, it's kind of a cool moment. So they, they bust me out of jail and we go to Waffle House and, you know, tell the whole story and everything. And it was cool, though. It was like this was a cool experience because I, I never, you know, I didn't do anything wrong, but I still got to have the experience of being arrested. And it was like this is this is kind of cool. And it was just like I'm doing stuff in life. You know, it just felt cool. So back to life in Fable that year. I'm in the second semester of living with Edward at the place at the little apartment on on Maple Street. Second semester is just as good as the first. You know, we're just hanging out, having a good time, had friends over all the time, spent a lot of my free time playing Tony Hawk 2 on the PlayStation, just having a good time. And in January of that year, um, a new album came out from a new band called Zwan. 
and Zwan was Billy Corgan and I believe James Eha from the Smashing Pumpkins and a couple other people started this new band, Zwan. They came out with this album called Mary Star of the Sea. And it was just so perfect for that time. It was like such an anthem for who I was in college and just, I don't know, it was just an exciting like rock album that was just so new and so fresh. I mean, it's very similar to Smashing Pumpkins, but that was definitely the soundtrack of like this part of the year, the second semester of that year and in the summer. And so we're listening to Zwan playing Tony Hawk, skating all the time, goofing around, skipping classes, dipping Copenhagen, uh, you know, just hanging out. It was just so fun. And and I was kind of semi-famous during that time for just, an, I had an innate ability to sleep like forever. And oftentimes I would go to bed at like midnight and I would wake up the next day at like four o'clock in the afternoon. It's just like, I just kept sleeping and it, it felt so good. Um, so it was just awesome. You know, at this point in time, we're, we're kind of drinking occasionally, like literally very little. Um, every now and then we would like get some Hornsby's uh, cider or like some Smirnoff ice or, you know, just totally like girl drinks. But you know what? They're good. They're, they're good. And uh, but that that was not really that big of a deal. Another tiny story about that time was me and a couple guys are sitting in my bedroom at this house. I had built this loft that had like the bed up top and a little futon couch underneath. And I had my TV in there and, and we were playing Tony Hawk. And, uh, one of my buddies, uh, Muncie, he had this like thing where he would try to fill up an entire Sonic route 44 size cup with dip spit, <laughs> which is absolutely revolting. And, uh, but it was hilarious. And so he had this enormous 44 ounce cup that was like three quarters of the way full of just dip spit. And like there was some paper towels in there that you used to like soak it up initially. But after a while, it's just almost full. He had been working on it for several days and, and taking it with him is disgusting. <laughs> and, uh, and we're sitting there and on my futon, I have like a, a comforter that I used, you know, sometimes I'd just sleep on the futon. And so I had my comforter down there and we're sitting on it and Muncie like does something and he spills that entire dip spit cup on my comforter. And I mean, just, just pause and just think about the smell. Uh, Cause it was like, it was like wintergreen skull or something. And uh, I mean, it was honestly probably several different flavors all mixed up and the smell and the sound of the dip spit coming out of the cup. It was just like, blomp you know, <laughs> and it was just disgusting. So we're all screaming and everything. And I was like, you have to buy me a new comforter today. And he's like, all right, fine. So anyway, that's just a good picture of that, that time frame. It was just fun stupidity. So the semester ends and summer rolls around. At this point in time, Mindy and I were still dating, but we were kind of doing that on again, off again thing. And it was like, we really liked each other a lot. It seemed like it was real serious but there was just something holding us back from, I don't know, whatever the next level would really be, you know? It was just kind of one of those things. You know what I'm talking about. So that was kind of my situation with her. But we are, like, still dating. 
So anyway, summer rolls around. Edward moves out because he had graduated. He was a couple of years ahead of me. And my buddy DS moves in to take his place. Uh, the beginning of the summer was cool. And eventually we uh, move out of that house and we move into a new house on Timberline Drive uh, in Fayetteville, right off of Weddington. And that was cool. My buddy Muncie and another friend Hunter moved in with us. And so we had our little spot there. And at the beginning of the summer, right after we moved into that house, I got a summer job at this place called Lewis and Clark Outfitters, which is an outdoor gear shop uh, up there in Northwest Arkansas. They had already had a location in Springdale, and they were opening a new location in Rogers, uh, which is still there. And so I knew that they were hiring for that. So I go into the Springdale location, and I interview for the job. And long story short, they offer me the job and, uh, we, we get up to Rogers, you know, the next week or whatever to start training. And so they have a whole entire new staff for the Rogers store, as well as some people from the Springdale store that were kind of coming to help manage and, 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 you know, get that second store going. And I'll never forget this on the first day at Lewis and Clark, DS and I both got a job there. He was going to be working in the shoe department. I was going to be working in the outdoor department, which is sort of where all the gear and tents and backpacks and, and stuff like that is. And so we go up for our first day, and there's all these new people there. There's probably 30 new employees there. And they had a few people, kind of a few of the managers, like, you know, say a few things and, and, and you know, just kind of do some introductions and stuff. And one of the managers that spoke was this new person that I didn't know. Her name was Micaiah. She was going to be the manager of the apparel department. And she gets up and she says a few things, blah, blah, blah. I don't even remember what she said. But she, was, she had this kind of shy spirit about her and this kind of, you know, nervousness. You could tell that she was nervous about kind of talking in front of people but she wanted to be taken very seriously. You know, she, she was serious about, um, you know, doing a good job and, and sort of just being a good boss and, and, and training her people right and everything. And she just kind of spoke for a second. And then she kind of went and took her seat again. And, and I just remember kind of staring at her. I was like, dang, this girl's interesting, you know. Uh, and, and so anyway, me and DS go back to the house uh, later that day after, after our first day of training or whatever. And we were just talking about the day, you know, talking about the people that we met. And I said, hey, what do you think about the, this Micaiah girl? And he was like, she's cool, man. She's funny. She's, uh, she's, you know, she's cool. He's like, you, you can tell she's cool, but like she's nervous about something, you know, about whatever. I was like, yeah, man, I think so. And she was kind of tight-lipped, I guess you could say. And I, but, I, but you could tell there was a playful spirit in her too. And I told DS on that day, I said, it's going to be my goal every time I go into work to make Micaiah smile at least once every day that I see her. You know, just I'm just going to mess with her a little bit. I'm just going to see if I can get her to loosen up and kind of crack the shell. And, and he's like, yeah, that's, that's a good idea, man, you know. And so we keep going back to work. We're working at Lewis and Clark, and eventually the store opens and everything. And, you know, I was in the outdoor department, like I said, and Micaiah was in the apparel department. And of course, we don't work on the same days all the time or the same shifts and she's kind of not in my area so we weren't like shoulder to shoulder working you know we were just kind of in the store at the same time and every now and then I would sort of walk over to the apparel department and you know crack some jokes or try to I don't know just loosen it up a little bit and it was cool man you know it was cool I got her to smile and laugh with me a little bit and she was just uh magnetic you know she was 
she was a mystery to me. There was a lot of mystery to her. And on top of that, she had the cutest butt I've ever seen in my life. And I just couldn't stop staring at it. <laughs> it was just like, you know, it's like that thing that's just unattainable. I just want to slap that booty. <laughs> uh, but that that was the situation, you know. Uh, and I was interested in her, you know. She was just like uh, the... Um, she was like the final level to me, like the, the ultimate, I didn't think I was in her league at all. She's smart and accomplished, and I'm just a just total bad at school, dumb goober, um, but I, I liked her, you know. Now, I'm still dating Mindy at the time. Again, it was kind of on again, off again, um, so I had a little bit of a tension there, you know. I, I'm interested in Micaiah dating Mindy. This relationship is kind of on its last leg, and there's maybe a potential for something new. Meanwhile, Micaiah was pretty clear to me that she was interested in this other guy that worked there, and I didn't blame her. He's the coolest, um, this dude named Brooke. He was like a couple years older, fly fisherman, uh, like dude from Alabama, just totally cool. I was good friends with Brooke, too. I had a freaking crush on him. Um, so I, I got it, you know. <laughs> so anyway, we're working at Lewis and Clark living in this new house, having a good summer, having fun, making money, and just kind of hanging out. You know, that's what we were doing. Before long, the fall semester rolls around, and I get back into school. You know, again, the school semester starts up. I kept my job at Lewis and Clark because it was, you know, it was, I had it worked out where I was going to be able to do both, and I really liked the job at Lewis and Clark. You know, it was a fun job where I got to, they had a rock climbing wall that I helped set the holds on and I got to belay kids on the climbing wall and it was just fun, you know. I just and I've always loved outdoor gear and sort of being in that environment and talking to people about it and selling it and selling boats and backpacks and all this stuff. And it was just a fun, fun job. So I was gonna do both. So fall semester, I walk into the student union on like the first week of classes for that semester, and I see a friend that I hadn't seen in a long time from high school. He was several years younger than me, and he was there starting his freshman year. And I see him across the way, and I say, Peter, what's up, dude? And he comes over. I had been friends with his older brother and, and friends with him a little bit, but uh, I had known his older brother a little bit more. Anyway, Peter walks over, and we just hit it off again, like, immediately. And it was like there was something special about my friendship with Peter that – no other friendship of mine has ever really come close to it. Um, I've had great, tight, super tight friends, like life partners in so many ways. And, and Peter's one of those guys, but we just understood each other uh, on, a, on a different level. It was almost telepathic, um, and it was right off the bat. And so, you know, I, I get his phone number and everything, and and I say, dude, let's hang out sometime. He's like, yes, absolutely. Meanwhile, I was kind of learning how to fly fish because I'm working at Lewis and Clark, and I had the, you know, I had the deal on the fly fishing gear and everything. And um, actually, that September, my parents bought me a fly fishing rod for my birthday. So, you know, I got my fly rod and everything. And I asked Peter, "You ever fly fish?" And he's like, "Absolutely, let's go fly fishing immediately." So from that point forward, I almost went into this time warp in my brain, in my life, in my spirit, where Peter and I almost exited time and society in such a way that it seemed like we were living decades while only weeks were passing, if that makes any sense. 
we were hanging out. We went from not talking at all previously to every single day we were going fly fishing and rock climbing and camping. And even though I lived in this house in Fayetteville, in my brain when I go back to that, I only remember sleeping in that house maybe a dozen times because, I mean, after that fall semester started, because once Peter and I started hanging out, it was literally camping every single day. And I started skipping classes again. And, you know, it was the kind of thing where, like, Peter and I would go up to the White River um, late one night, camp out in the back of my, uh, I had this old forerunner that was really cool. And we would just sleep in the back of my forerunner, wake up at the crack of dawn, go fly fishing all morning until the generator started running, pack up our gear, eat like a granola bar, and then drive over to Lincoln Lake and go rock climbing or even drive over to Horseshoe Canyon and go climbing and spend three or four nights over there. And it was just like this season of like exploration. Like we just felt like um, we were on the front edge of exploration. You know, you know that feeling where you're doing something that maybe hundreds of people have done before you, but you feel like you are doing it for the first time. And Peter had this way of, of living and looking at things where um, he didn't take himself too seriously, but at the same time, he takes himself unbelievably seriously. And he, he, he laughs at everything, but he takes it all super seriously. Um, nothing matters, but everything matters, you know. And during this time, you know, we were, we were like reading poetry and listening to Waterdeep, this, this like really deep Christian band that we just, there's, there's layers to all of their lyrics that just kind of will expand your brain and, and, in amazing ways and you know we're, we're even studying like obscure parts of the bible and just like it felt like something out of dead poet society you know we were like sucking the marrow out of life you know that kind of feeling and again just outside all the time and dirty and smoking cigars backwoods and you know it was just like an awakening of the soul for me i, I can't stress it enough how amazing this time was and we're just dreaming big dreams and talking about what we want to do and we want to go climb Mount Everest and we want to go like be bums on the street in Israel and go to Alaska and, and go to Antarctica and just, it was like everything was possible at this time. And, you know, we're just like living with passion, you know, and it was like a spiritual awakening, you know, we, we just talked on another level. It was just, it was just truly, um, it was like soul expansion. I, I can't, some of you guys know what I'm talking about. You've experienced this. That's what I'm talking about. And if you haven't experienced this type of thing, I say do whatever you can to find it because this is the kind of stuff that wakes you up. And for Peter and I both, I think we were that for each other, you know? And again, we kind of spoke on that, on that next level of, of a deeper understanding of things where things don't even really need to be said. They're just there and they're understood. And so it was an amazing time. During this time, I also helped Peter get a job at Lewis and Clark. So now he's working with me. And I became uh, one of the managers of the outdoor department. So I got uh, keys to the store and everything. And so a lot of times if Peter and I were working, or even if one or the other of us wasn't working, once we got off work, the other one would show up and we would just climb on the climbing wall there at, at uh, Lewis and Clark and kind of reset the routes and hang out, have a good time, maybe drink a beer or two. Um, and just 
just have a good time, turn on some music on the, on the loudspeakers in the store. And it was just an amazing time. And as the semester went on, my relationship with Mindy continued to kind of um, end and my interest in Micaiah really started to grow. And I would kind of flirt with Micaiah and kind of talk to her and kind of, I don't know, just see what the possibilities were there. And one day I, uh, my roommate, Muncie, was out of town and he had left his truck at our house. And his truck was this ridiculous, stupid, humongous, like monster truck. It was a Z71 Chevy pickup, um, but it had like monster truck tires. And it was like, I don't remember the size of the lift it had on it, but it was stupid. You could hardly, you could reach up and open the door handle and you had to reach up with both of your arms and like hoist yourself into the truck. Um, it, it was ridiculous. And, and it was called White Lightning. It had this sticker on the back that said White Lightning is a white truck. It was just ridiculous. So Muncie had left that truck at the house and he left his keys there. And so I was like, okay, here's my plan. I want to ask Micaiah out and this truck is going to be my way in. This is how dumb I was at the time. It's actually a fr freaking great idea. Who doesn't want to ride in a monster truck? So I drive this truck up to Rogers and it's ridiculous. I mean, it seriously is catching everyone's eye on the road and everything. I pull into the parking lot. People come out and they're like, what the hell is that? And, you know, I'm I'm just happy as I can be. And so I also knew that me and Makai would both be closing the store that night. And so, um, you know, about the time that the store is closing down, me and Makai have to go back into the office and, like, count down our registers or whatever and lock up the safe and all that stuff. And and Micaiah was taking a little bit longer with her stuff than I was, and I was kind of done, and I wanted to ask her out after work, and I was nervous, and I, you know, it was it was just one of those, like, nerve-wracking things. You know how it is. And so I'm just kind of hanging around. Like, I, I could have left 20 minutes earlier, but I'm just hanging around, and it was kind of awkward, and I think a couple other people that were there kind of could tell, like, something odd is going on here. And... uh Finally, I, I just say to myself, all right, I'm just going to go do it. So I go back into the office and Makai's there and I say, hey, um, do you want to go to Waffle House after work and take a ride in the monster truck with me? And she goes, uh, yeah. And so I'm like, yes. And so uh, she wraps up her stuff. We jump in the truck and we go to Waffle House and we go in there, we sit down and you know, we're just like, it's our first time to hang out outside of work and just the two of us, you know, we had gone to like lunch with groups before and I had seen her at some, you know, concert in town once and, but this was our first time to kind of just be the two of us. And so we're just talking and getting to know each other. And she's telling me that she used to uh, live at Yosemite National Park and work there for a summer and was kind of daydreaming about that and I could see her mind drifting off to like these times at Yosemite and I was just like geez this girl is freaking awesome and I just thought to myself like I have to take her to Yosemite like I want to take her to the place where this spark lives you know that I can see inside of her right now and, and it was just amazing and I was just like hooked I was just totally drunk on her I couldn't tell if she was into me at all you know I just didn't know, but I was I was into her. After we eat, we go outside, and I had like a disposable camera in the car or something, and um, this guy was uh, checking out the truck in the parking lot, and so we're talking about it a little bit, and and I say, hey man, would you mind taking our picture real quick? And uh, and I literally thought to myself, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna want to have a picture of our first date, 
you know, this is going to be significant. And so the guy snaps a picture and I've got this great picture of us on our, on our date at uh, Waffle House with the monster truck in the background and Waffle House behind that. So it was just an amazing night. I'd gotten over the initial nervousness of asking her out once and it went well enough where I felt like, you know, maybe there's another date in store here. And from then forward, we, we hung out a couple more times. I know that one time we went to lunch and we're getting to know each other a little bit more. And she's telling me about her parents and tells me that her parents live in Guatemala, which, you know, at that point in time, I couldn't even find it on a map. Uh, I, I couldn't have told you where it is at all. And she's telling me about Guatemala and how cool it is. And again, like the spark that I see in her when she's talking about these things, you know, just kind of, it, I could see an awakening, you know, and it was like, gosh, I have to get, I have to know this more. I have to see more about this. So she's telling me about Guatemala and it sounds amazing. There's volcanoes and it's just beautiful and they live up in the highlands and you know, it's just cool. And, you know, go back to work and stuff and kind of life goes on. We hung out maybe one other time, like as a group of like work friends, but that was about it. And then all of a sudden I find out that she's moving to Guatemala. She's going to quit her job and she's going to move to Guatemala and live with her parents. And, and it was just like crushing. It was like, oh man, like that's, that's the end of this, you know, um, she's moving away. And I was just super bummed about that. But anyway, I got her uh, email address and I said, Hey, look, you know, I'll email you sometimes. We'll stay in touch. Right. And okay, cool. Have fun, you know, bye. And she like leaves, you know, and, and it was just, uh, it was just devastating. Now, meanwhile, I'm still hanging out with Peter like every other day. Um, I, I had actually, I dropped out of school again. I told my dad, I was like, this time, you know, I don't, I just can't do this right now. I don't want to go to school. I want to, I want to live. I want to climb. I want to fish. I want to just be a person that's alive in the world and, and do some of these adventures that I've really wanted to do for a while. And so he says, Hey, you know, I don't want you in school if you're not going to take it seriously. So do your thing. And, you know, but he said, I really want you to, to finish up, you know, when you're ready. And I said, okay, fair enough. So I start making plans that I'm going to move to Alaska. That was just a plan that I wanted to do. Uh, Peter and I had a mutual friend that lived there and he had been there once and was telling me about it. And it just sounded amazing. And I just wanted to go be alone. And I think part of it was, I was bummed out that Micaiah was gone. And, you know, the thing with Mindy was over. And I just, I just wanted to go be alone. I wanted to get out of school. I wanted to get out of town. I wanted to go and, and sort of just live and breathe and, and, and explore, uh, physically the way I felt like my heart was drawing me to exploration. And so I, I start making plans to move to Alaska and I was going to, um, I was going to drive. And so I started selling all the stuff in my house. And meanwhile, I'm still emailing with Micaiah and we email back and forth all the time. And I don't know how many emails we sent, but there was a lot, you know, it, it seemed like it was, you know, every other day or every three days, we'd sort of write something. And they were definitely like pseudo flirty and just kind of, she was telling me stories about Guatemala. And I was telling her stories about, you know, what me and Peter had been getting into. And, and I started to tell her like, you know, I, I dropped out of school again, and I think I'm going to move to Alaska and all this stuff. And I remember her saying, well, you know, if you want to have a big adventure, you should uh, come to Guatemala. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Maybe there's a future here, you know. Maybe there's maybe there's something. I mean, it was like your butterflies start rising up in your stomach, you know. And 
at first I thought like, oh man, what a what a crazy idea. And then I really kept thinking about it. It's like, well, maybe I do want to do that. And so we emailed back and forth a little bit about it. And she says that her parents have a little church there that's like an English speaking church. And, you know, her dad's been wanting to start up a youth program for the, you know, dozen or so kids or, you know, high school age and younger kids that were going to church there. And Micaiah had known that I was interested in, in like being a youth pastor at that point. And she was like, well, seriously, you know, if, if you want to do something cool, you can come to uh, Guatemala and, you know, help my dad start this uh, youth program here at the church. And, you know, if you, if you like it, great. If not, that's okay too. And it was like, okay, this is cool. And so anyway, we keep talking about that and the idea kind of keeps coming up and I'm interested in it because A, it is an adventure. It's really cool. Sounds awesome. She had gotten me really excited about just the landscape of Guatemala and the people and the, the culture there. And B, you know, I did want to do something a little bit more spiritually meaningful with myself. And C, I was interested in Micaiah. You know, I wanted to go and be with her. You know, I, I wanted to date her. You know, I wanted to kiss her. I wanted to be in love with her. And um, all those things can happen if I go to Guatemala. And so we uh, end up scheduling a phone call between her dad and I where he just wanted to kind of get to know me and talk me through what he had in mind and all this stuff. And we we had the phone call and we kind of jived really well on the phone call and ended up talking to Micaiah after I got off with her dad. And I could hear a little hint of excitement in her voice that, you know, she maybe had the same butterflies that I had. And, and that was exciting, you know. And so I decided right then, screw it, I'm moving to Guatemala. I got to go see about this girl, you know. I got to go, I got to go see what my chances are. And if it doesn't work out with her, it's still a cool adventure, you know. So I was already ready to go to Alaska. And all I really had to do was change the clothes I was bringing. And I took the same crap. I moved out of my house, sold everything I had, uh, drove back to Little Rock and I, uh, November 19th, 2003, I got on a plane and I flew to Houston and then Houston flew me to Guatemala city and I was there. I, I just did it. It was like the fastest thing ever. And her dad and her came to pick me up at the airport and through a crazy twist of events, my buddy fat was also in Guatemala at the time in a completely different location for completely different circumstances. He was working at an orphanage. And so he showed up at the airport too to, to greet me. And so uh, I got to see my buddy Fat. I got to see Micaiah. And there's, you know, they're all standing there waiting for me. It was so good to see someone really familiar like Fat. Gave him a big hug. See Micaiah, give her a hug. And she's beaming, you know, and she's just so freaking cute. And I just, it was like my heart was bursting. Met her dad for the first time you know, and then we all get in her dad's car. He drops uh, fat off at the orphanage, which wasn't far from the airport in Guatemala City. And then me and Makai and her dad drive four hours back to their house in a town called Quetzaltenango, uh, which is also called Shela. Um, it's up in the mountains. Uh, it's surrounded by volcanoes. It's, it's like, uh, it's, you know, you think Guatemala is going to be just like hot and muggy, which it is in a lot of places. But up in the mountains, it's like, cool, clean air. Uh, it's just beautiful. Uh, just seeing, I, you know, I had been to Europe, but I'd never been to a third world country. And of course, it's just, 
worlds apart, you know, the colors and the, and the, the beauty. I didn't speak any Spanish and, uh, but we're, we're there, we're driving through this country and chatting her dad up for the first time ever. And, and I'm just thinking about the possibilities with Micaiah, you know, and it was just so exciting. We get to her house and at their house, they had, you know, kind of the main house, um, which her, her whole family was there, her, her mom and dad and her two sisters and her. And so the main house um, had her parents and her two sisters in it. And now back out the back door, there was kind of two separate apartments. One was like a completely separate building that was just a bedroom. And that's where Micaiah slept. And then there was this other sort of um, apartment space that had kind of a bedroom and, an, and a little living room and a bathroom. And that's where I was going to stay. So it was cool. I had my own kind of personal space, but I was still living kind of um, on their on their property, you know, and there was a big wall that went around. All the houses there have like walls around them, um, around the yards. And so I kind of settle in in Guatemala and move in my stuff. And I'm like, okay, here I am, you know, and I, I go over to Micaiah's room and we're sitting in her room and we're just talking. We're just talking and getting to know each other even more. And we kind of had that talk where you kind of discuss your previous relationship, you know, history. And we both kind of, in doing so, said, you know, I'm kind of sick of dating the next person that I date. I want to marry that person. And she kind of said the same thing. And it was like, oh, man, there may, be, uh, there may be a lot more possibility here than I even realized. You know, that was the very first night that I was there. And, and at that point, it was like, I'm totally sold on this girl. Um, I want to absolutely be with this person and marry this person. And it was just such an exciting feeling. And then a um, couple days later, it was actually the night of Thanksgiving. You know, in Guatemala, they don't celebrate Thanksgiving, but we did. We had a, a Guatemalan friend come over that they knew and kind of were telling him about the American tradition of Thanksgiving and whatnot and had the dinner. And her mom's an amazing cook. And so we had this amazing, you know, meal and and uh, had a good time. And then after that, I remember me and Micaiah had gone out into the backyard and we had this nice kind of grassy backyard there and you can see the volcanoes and the sky, and it was just beautiful. And we were sitting out in the, in the backyard on these, uh, you know, lawn chairs, and uh, just sitting there looking at the stars, you know. It was just like that sparkly magic moment, you know. And I remember she, like, stood up to point at a star or, or something, and I stood up behind her, and I was kind of looking at the star with her. This is one of those just cheesy, like, moments out of, like, a note, the notebook or something. And we're looking at the star together, and I wrap my arms around her. And it was, like, the first time that I kind of made a physical move, you know, a physical romantic gesture towards her. And, man, she wrapped her arms up with mine, and it was like, <sighs> yes. You know, this is the beginning of something amazing. And that was in the Thanksgiving. We celebrated Christmas together, of course. And by the time New Year's rolled around, me and Micaiah were standing on the roof of her parents' church uh, at midnight, making out like there was no tomorrow when there was fireworks going off and the whole city was lit up with fireworks. It was it was like something out of a movie. If there was like a drone shot of downtown Shayla on top of this building and these two young white kids are standing in the middle of this city in Guatemala and there's fireworks blasting all around 
and we're kissing one of those passionate kisses that's just like the end of the world. You know, it's an amazing thing. And we were, we were in love, you know. We were absolutely in love. And things just really uh, moved quickly from there. And that's what we're going to talk about next time. We're going to talk about the rest of our time in Guatemala, falling in love, traveling, driving home from Guatemala. I'll say it again, driving home from Guatemala. I asked her to marry me. We rented a house in Little Rock. We got married and we started a whole new life together. So stick around for that. I'll tell you all about it next time. Thanks for being with me. Love you guys. Have a great week. Catch you next time. Bye.